Hello and welcome, friends, family, and of course, enemies alike, to episode 110 of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson. Throughout the month of October, we have been partying with the Greeks as we have read parts of the Iliad, parts of the Odyssey, and now we are reading The Apology of Socrates. Now, Socrates here is on trial, and he is not actually apologizing for anything, for the Greek apologia means to give a defense of your actions. Socrates has been accused of impiety, not believing in the divine gods of the Greeks, as well as corrupting the youth in society as well through his impiety. For he went to an oracle at Delphi and received a prophecy from this oracle who said that he was the wisest man on earth. And Socrates humbly said, I am wise because I recognize that I am ignorant. And so he was telling the youths around him, do not believe everything that somebody tells you just because they consider themselves to be a wise man. Uh, we need to be constantly self-examining what we have been taught so that we can arrive at better conclusions in the future. Okay? And so his primary accusers are the people that he has told these young men, you know, not to, to trust and take them at their word. Um, and so this is the corrupt thought, quote-unquote, that his accusers are bringing before him. And he will be speaking specifically to his primary accuser, Miletus. Um, and so you will see that. So let's read a portion of the Apology of Socrates. The Apology of Socrates, translated by Henry Carey. M.A. I know not, O Athenians, how far you have been influenced by my accusers, for my part. In listening to them, I almost forgot myself. So plausible were their arguments, however, so to speak. They have said nothing true. But of the many falsehoods which they uttered, I wondered at one of them especially, that in which they said that you be ought to be on your guard, lest you should be deceived by me as being eloquent in speech, for that they are not ashamed of being forthwith convicted by me in fact, when I shall show that I am not by any means eloquent. This seems to me the most shameless thing in them, unless indeed they call him eloquent who speaks the truth. For, if they mean this, then I would allow that I am an orator, but not after their fashion. For they, as I affirm, have said nothing true. But from me, you shall hear the whole truth. Not indeed, Athenians, arguments highly wrought as theirs were, with choice phrases and expressions, nor adorned. But you shall hear a speech uttered without premeditation in such words as first 
present themselves. For I am confident that what I say will be just, and let none of you expect otherwise. For surely it would not become my time of life to come before you like a youth with a got-up speech. Above all things, therefore, I beg and implore this of you, O Athenians. If you hear me defending myself in the same language as that in which I am accustomed to speak, both in the forum at the counters, where many of you have heard me, and elsewhere, not to be surprised or disturbed on this account. For the case is this. I, now for the first time, come before a court of justice, though more than seventy years old, I am therefore utterly a stranger to the language here. As then, if I were really a stranger, you would have pardoned me if I spoke in the language and the manner in which I had been educated. So now I ask this of you as an act of justice, as it appears to me to disregard the manner of my speech, for perhaps it may be somewhat worse and perhaps better, and to consider this only, and to give your attention to this, whether I speak what is just or not, for this is the virtue of a judge, but of an orator to speak the truth. First then, O Athenians, I am right in defending myself against the first false accusations alleged against me, and my first accusers, and then against the latest accusations and the latest accusers. For many have been accusers of me to you, and for many years who have asserted nothing true, of whom I am more than afraid, than of Anatus and his party, although they too are formidable. But those are still more of formidable Athenians, who lay hold of many of you from childhood, have persuaded you and accused me of what is not true. That there is one Socrates, a wise man, who occupies himself about celestial matters, and has explored everything under the earth, and makes the worse appear the better reason. Those, O Athenians, who have spread abroad this report are my formidable accusers. For they who hear them think that such as search into these things do not believe that they are gods. In the next place, these accusers are numerous and have accused me now for a long time, moreover. They said these things to you at the time of life in which you were most credulous, when you were boys and some of you youths, and they accused me altogether in my absence, when there was no one to defend me. But the most unreasonable thing of all is that it is not possible to learn and mention their names, except that one of them happens to be a comic poet. Such, however, has influenced by envy and calumny, have persuaded you and those who, being themselves persuaded, have persuaded others. All these are most difficult to deal with, 
for it is not possible to bring any of them forward here, nor to confute any, but it is altogether necessary to fight, as it were, with a shadow in making my defense, and to convict where there is no one to answer. Consider, therefore, as I have said, that my accusers are twofold, some who have lately accused me, and others long since, whom I have made mention of, and believe that I ought to defend myself against these first. For you heard them accusing me first, and much more than these last. Well, I must make my defense then, O Athenians, and to endeavor in this so short a space of time to remove from your minds the calumny which you have long entertained. I wish, indeed, it might be so, if it were at all better both for you and for me, and that in making my defense I could effect something more advantageous still. I think, however, that it will be difficult, and I am not entirely ignorant what the difficulty is. Nevertheless, let this turn out as may be pleasing to God. I must obey the law and make my defense. Let us then repeat from the beginning what the accusation is from which the calumny against me has arisen, and relying on which Miletus has preferred this indictment against me. Well, what then do they who charge me say in their charge? For it is necessary to read their deposition as of public accusers. <clears throat> Socrates acts wickedly and is criminally curious in searching into things under the earth and in the heavens and in making the worse appear the better cause and in teaching these same things to others. Such is the accusation, for such things you have yourself seen in the comedy of Aristophanes. One Socrates there carried about, saying that he walks in the air, and acting many other buffooneries of which I understand nothing whatever. Nor do I say this as disparaging such a science, if there be any one skilled in such things. Only let me not be prosecuted by Miletus on a charge of this kind. But I say it, O Athenians, because I have nothing to do with such matters. And I call upon most of you as witnesses of this, and require you to inform and tell each other as many of you as have ever heard me conversing, and there are many such among you. Therefore tell each other, if any one of you has ever heard me conversing little or much on such subjects, and from this you will know the other things also, which the multitude assert of me, are of a similar nature. However, not one of these things is true, nor you have heard from any one that I attempt to teach men and require payment, is this true? Though this indeed appears to me to be an honorable thing, if one should be able to instruct men like Gorgias the Leontine, Prodicus the Sian, and Hippias the Elean, 
for each of these, O Athenians, is able, by going through the several cities, to persuade the young men who can attach themselves gratuitously to such of their own fellow citizens as they please, to abandon their fellow citizens and associate with them, giving them money and thanks besides. There is also another wise man here, a Perean, who, I hear, is staying in the city. For I happened to visit a person who spends more money on the sophists than all others together. I mean Callias, son of Hipponicus. I therefore asked him, for he has two sons. Callias, I said, if your two sons were colts or calves, we should have had to choose a master for them and hire a person who would make them excel in such qualities as belong to their nature. And he would have been a groom or an agricultural laborer. But now, since your sons are men, what master do you intend to choose for them? Who is there skilled in the qualities that become a man and a citizen? For I suppose you must have considered this, since you have sons. Is there anyone? I said, or not? Certainly, he answered. Who is he? said I, and whence does he come, and on what terms does he teach? He replied, Evanus the Perean, Socrates, for five minae, and I deemed Evanus happy if he really possesses this art and teaches admirably. And I, too, should think highly of myself and be very proud if I possessed this knowledge. But I possess it not, O Athenians. Perhaps one of you may now object. But Socrates, what have you done then? Whence have these calumnies against you arisen? For surely if you had not busied yourself more than the others, such a report and story would never have got abroad unless you have done something different from what most men do. Tell us, therefore, what it is, that we may not pass a hasty judgment on you. He who speaks thus appears to me to speak justly, and I will endeavor to show you what it is that has occasioned me this character in imputation. Listen, then. To some of you, perhaps, I shall appear to jest. Yet be assured that I shall tell you the whole truth. For I, O Athenians, have acquired this character through nothing else than a certain wisdom. Of what kind, then, is this wisdom? Perhaps it is merely human wisdom. For in this, in truth, I appear to be wise. They probably, whom I have just now mentioned, possessed a wisdom more than human. Otherwise I know not what to say about it, for I am not acquainted with it. And whoever says I am speaks falsely, and for the purpose of calumniating me. But, O oh, Athenians, do not cry out against me, even though I should seem to you to speak somewhat arrogantly. For the account which I am going to give you is not my own, but I shall refer to an authority whom you will deem worthy of credit. For I shall adduce to you the god at Delphi as a witness of my wisdom, if I have any, and of what it is. 
You doubtless know Carifer. He was my associate from youth, and the associate of most of you. He accompanied me in your late exile, and returned with you. You know then what kind of man Carifer was, how earnest in whatever he undertook. Having once gone to Delphi, he ventured to make the following inquiry of the oracle, and, as I said, O Athenians, do not cry out, for he asked if there was any one wiser than I. The Pythian thereupon answered that there was not one wiser, and of this his brother here will give you proofs, since he himself is dead. Consider then why I mention these things. It is because I am going to show you whence the calumny against me arose. For when I heard this, I reasoned thus with myself. What does the god mean? What enigma is this? For I am not conscious to myself that I am wise, either much or little. What then does he mean? by saying that I am the wisest, for assuredly he does not speak falsely, that he could not do. And for a long time I was in doubt what he meant. Afterward, with considerable difficulty, I had recourse to the following method of searching out his meaning. I went to one of those who have the character of being wise, thinking that there, if anywhere, I should confute the oracle and show in answer to the response that this man is wiser than I, though you affirmed that I was the wisest. Having then examined this man, for there is no occasion to mention his name, he was, however, one of our great politicians, in examining whom I felt as I proceed to describe, O Athenians, having fallen into conversation with him, this man appeared to be wise in the opinion of most other men, and especially in his own opinion, though, in fact, he was not so. I thereupon endeavored to show him that he fancied himself to be wise, but really was not. Hence, I became odious, both to him and to many others who were present. When I left him, I reasoned thus with myself, I am wiser than this man, for neither of us appears to know anything great in good, but he fancies he knows something, although he knows nothing, whereas I, as I do not know anything, so I do not fancy I do. In this trifling particular, then, I appear to be wiser than he, because I do not fancy I know what I do not know. After that, I went to another, who was thought to be wiser than the former, and formed the very same opinion. Hence, I became odious to him, and to many others. After this, I, I went to others in turn, perceiving indeed, and grieving and alarmed, that I was making myself odious. However, it appeared necessary to regard the oracle of the god as of the greatest moment, and that, in order to discover its meaning, I must go to all who had the reputation of possessing any knowledge. 
and by the dog, O Athenians, for I must tell you the truth, I came to some such conclusion as this. Those who bore the highest reputation appeared to me to be most deficient in my researches in obedience to the god, and others who were considered inferior, more nearly approaching to the possession of understanding. But I must relate to you my wandering, and the labors which I underwent in order that the oracle might prove incontrovertible. For after the politicians, I went to the poets, as well the tragic as the dithyrambic and others, expecting that here I should find in very fact myself more ignorant than they. Taking up, therefore, some of their poems, which appeared to me most elaborately finished, I questioned them as to their meaning, that at the same time I might learn something from them. I am ashamed, O Athenians, to tell you the truth. However, it must be told. For in a word, almost all who were present could have given a better account of them than those by whom they had been composed. I soon discovered this, therefore, with regard to the poets, that they do not affect their objects by wisdom, but by a certain natural inspiration, and under the influence of enthusiasm, like prophets and seers. For these also say many fine things, but they understand nothing that they say. The poets appeared to me to be affected in a similar manner, and at the same time I perceived that they considered themselves, on account of their poetry, to be the wisest of men in other things, in which they were not. I left them, therefore, under the persuasion that I was superior to them, in the same way that I was to the politicians. At last, therefore, I went to the artisans, for I was conscious to myself that I knew scarcely anything but I was sure that I should find them possessed of much beautiful knowledge, and in this I was not deceived, for they knew things which I did not, and in this respect they were wiser than I. But, O oh, Athenians, even the best workmen appeared to me to have fallen into the same error as the poets, for each, because he excelled in the practice of his art, thought that he was very wise in other most important matters, and this mistake of theirs obscured the wisdom that they really possessed. I therefore asked myself, in behalf of the oracle, whether I should prefer to continue as I am, possessing none, either of their wisdom or their ignorance, or to have both as they have, I answered therefore to myself and to the oracle that it was better for me to continue as I am. From this investigation then, O Athenians, many enmities have arisen against me, and those the most grievous and severe, so that many calumnies have sprung from them, and among them this appellation of being wise 
For those who are from time to time present think that I am wise in those things which respect to which I expose the ignorance of others. The god, however, O Athenians, appears to be really wise, and to mean this by his oracle, that human wisdom is worth little or nothing. And it is clear that he did not say this to Socrates, but made use of my name, putting me forward as an example, as if he had said that man is the wisest among you who, like Socrates, knows that he is in reality worth nothing with respect to wisdom. Still, therefore, I go about and search and inquire into these things in obedience to the God, both among citizens and strangers. If I think any one of them is wise, and when he appears to me not to be so, I take the part of the God and show that he is not wise. And, in consequence of this occupation, I have no leisure to attend in any considerable degree to the affairs of the state or my own. But I am in the greatest poverty through my devotion to the service of the God. In addition to this, young men who have much leisure and belong to the wealthiest families following me of their own accord take great delight in hearing men put to the test and often imitate me and themselves attempt to put others to the test. And then, I think, they find a great abundance of men who fancy they know something, although they know little or nothing. Hence those who are put to the test by them are angry with me, and not with them, and say that, There is one Socrates, a most pestilent fellow, who corrupts the youth. And when anyone asks them, By doing or teaching what? They have nothing to say, for they do not know. But that they may not seem to be at a loss, they say such things as are ready at hand against all philosophers. That he searches into things in heaven and things under the earth, that he does not believe there are gods, and that he makes the worse appear the better reason. For they would not, I think, be willing to tell the truth that they have been detected in pretending to possess knowledge, whereas they know nothing. Therefore, I think, being ambitions and vehement and numerous and speaking systematically and persuasively about me, they have filled your ears for a long time and diligently calumniating me. From among these, Miletus, Anatus, and Lycon have attacked me, Miletus being angry on account of the poets, Anatus on account of the artisans and politicians, and Lycon on account of the rhetoricians, so that, as I said in the beginning, I should wonder if I were able in so short a time to remove from your minds a calumny that has prevailed so long. This, O Athenians, is the truth, and I speak it without concealing or disguising 
anything from you, much or little, though I very well know that by so doing I shall expose myself to odium. This, however, is a proof that I speak the truth, and that this is the nature of the calumny against me, and that these are its causes. And if you will investigate the matter, either now or hereafter, you will find it to be so. With respect, then, to the charges which my first accusers have alleged against me, let this be a sufficient apology to you. To Miletus, that good and patriotic man, as he says, and to my later accusers, I will next endeavor to give an answer. And here again, as there are different accusers, let us take up their deposition. It is pretty much as follows, uh, Socrates, it says, acts unjustly in corrupting the youth and in not believing in those gods whom the city believes, but in other strange divinities. Such is the accusation. Let us examine each particular of it. It says that I act unjustly in corrupting the youth. But I, O Athenians, say that Miletus acts unjustly because he jests on serious subjects, rashly putting men on trial under pretense of being zealous and solicitous about things in which he never at any time took any concern. But that this is the case, I will endeavor to prove to you. End of Selected Readings on the Apology of Socrates Guys, this man is around 70 years old and can articulate his thoughts more clearly than any 70-year-old I have ever interacted with in my entire life. I only can hope to attain this level of mental clarity at 70 than Socrates did. Granted, these were events recorded by his mentee Plato. So Plato could have potentially embellished this just a little bit. And of course, there is a possibility that some of it was just lost in translation from Greek into English. So we're going to give that benefit of a doubt. But regardless of that fact, what Socrates is saying is that he is not only combating present accusations against him at 70, but throughout his life, he is combating what he deems shadow accusers, people who have accused him of falsity, impiety, um, corrupting the youths, so to speak, from when he was, you know, a philosopher at 30 until now. So this trial, he is stating, is a culmination of so many different events that he has not even been able to defend himself. So he is taking the time right now, right here, to make a defense for his actions. And he, he, he attributes a lot of his actions to an encounter that his friend Carifo, or Carifus, had um, at the Oracle at Delphi, where Carifo inquired, is there anyone wiser than Socrates? To which the oracle responded, no, there is not. 
And Socrates admits himself, I was confused by this because I do not consider myself wise. I consider myself to be ignorant. That is the point, my friends, that to be wise is to recognize that you don't know everything. He, he threw out the term sophist in a very, you know, subtle way, which a sophist is a derogatory term nowadays, which just essentially means it's someone who, you know, as they present their arguments, appears to be right. And then after further examination, you realize they were actually quite uneducated in their opinions. And so Socrates is accusing these people who are accusing him of being sophists, not actually thinking through what they say. Because he goes to poets, artisans, politicians, people that he himself thinks are wise people. But um, he realizes, yes, they are wise in their trade or practice, but then they try to flaunt their wisdom in other areas which they have no business. And that is the hypocrisy that Socrates is seeking to expose. And it, he presents it in a way that I could see could be quite humiliating and embarrassing to his accusers, which is why they would bring something forth. But it's absolutely crazy to me that he could be tried for something such like this of humiliating the public, okay? Like, that's not even a chargeable offense in America. So I think that it's kind of hard to relate to this in that regard. But to just essentially summarize what is being said, that we should be constantly examining uh, everything that we hear, that our human wisdom in and of itself is not sufficient. Um, there is something greater than we are, and we need to be seeking out that wisdom over our own wisdom. So I think that's kind of what Socrates is getting at here. Um, and in that regard, he is pursuing a different deity than the people of the Greeks, for they are seeking after humanly wisdom, their god, and he is seeking after an exterior wisdom, something outside of himself. And so that is why he believes himself to be wise, because he actually considers himself ignorant. Um, so there you have it. Uh, the Apology of Socrates, well, a piece of it. Uh, Socrates ended up getting convicted by a single jury vote is what ultimately convicted him. He, he petitioned to just pay a large fine, uh, but the jury found him guilty and convicted him to death. And shortly thereafter, he was put in prison and then drank poison, to which it killed him. So, <clears throat> on that encouraging note, thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite Phil Olson, and as they say in showbiz, that's all he wrote for now. <laughs>